0: Everyone, welcome to the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran, and we are here at a very, very noisy PodFest, but we are lit and live. And uh, for those of you watching on the live stream, we hope the audio sounds good. We are available to be boost during the show. For those of you that know what that means, uh, boost live. If you don't know what boost is, come to the podcasting 2.0 session tomorrow. But anyway, Rob, uh, you want to introduce our guest?
1: Yeah, I just want to say it's exciting to be at uh, PodFest. 2023 so it's we're back in full steam and and it 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 seems like that that we're gonna have a full conference this year um so it we're we're excited to be back and we're excited to be here and thank you for joining us and uh thank you for joining us on the live stream too and this is also going to be put out as a audio and video podcast as well so you'll be able to download it um off of our rss feed if just go to the apple or Spotify, or any of the listening platforms. So so yeah, I wanted to start off and just kind of let everybody know um, who's up here. And I think you can see it probably on the screen that you're looking at. But um, um, but anyway, my name is Rob Greenlee, and I'm actually uh, with a company called Podbean. And I'm a senior vice president of content and partnerships for Podbean. The podcast hosting platform has been around since about 2006. Um, And then right next to me is uh, Deidre Shin, who's the CEO and founder of Cap Show. And so she's also a podcast host, too. She does a show uh, called Grow My Podcast Show. So she's into podcasting about podcasts as well. And then next to uh, Deidre is Rob Sesternino, who's been around the podcasting space many times, won tons of awards. You know, he's got a whole awards you know, shelf in his house just full of Thank awards, you, trophies for podcasting, and so he's actually the, I guess a new, I guess CEO of a new company he started, or I don't know how new it is, but um, tribe, yeah. tribe speaking media, and
2: yeah, that's just my, yeah, that's just my, uh, that's just my uh, company that uh, yeah. really, uh, Robin's podcast, RJP, that's uh, that's our network.
1: Got it, got it, got it. And so it, Rob's been hosting a podcast called Rob Has a Podcast. So talk about simple communication about your podcast, but um I just do it for the SEO where everybody looking for right, Rob Greenlees right. podcast. Well, he people comes looking for this a, show. Yeah. Yeah, he comes up top in the search results. I come up second. So um so he also does another network called uh Post Show Recaps. Uh so it's it's all are mostly a reality TV show based
2: Yeah, Post Show Recaps, the scripted TV recaps, and we've been uh, recapping TV shows across those two networks uh, since uh, 2010.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then my co-host down here. So I'm Todd Cochran. I am the co-founder of Blueberry Podcasting. And uh, Rob and I have been doing this show now about 10 years. We've been doing this show live the entire time we've been doing the show. I think we're at 530, 40, something like that, episodes. But uh, we definitely encourage you to get over to newmediashow.com. Follow or subscribe to the show while you're over there. And, again, we are streaming this live. This is unusual for us to be in a a place where there's this much background noise. So can everyone hear us okay? Are you guys good? All right. So just want to make sure that uh, you can hear us. And if you're outside the curtain, come on down, come on in. But um, I think what we want to do to begin with is um, we've got to – unusual for us rob and i when we do this solo we never have a an agenda but we do have an agenda today so we're going to talk about some things that are top of mind of podcasters right now and we're going to start off really by the hot ticket item that is really all over the world at this point is talk about chat gbt and ai and what ai means for the podcasting space so um i guess we'll kick it off to Rob what do you what do you have to think of? we're gonna, we got two Robs here so we're going to I know do...
1: exactly which Rob are you talking about Yeah uh, So so so,
2: so anyway. Rob what
0: do you think about ChatGPT
2: Well I love playing with ChatGPT uh I have tons of uses for it in my real life uh number 1 uh it's great for when my kids want bedtime stories uh that I just load it up and as long as uh I don't have to worry that is, is ChatGPT going to replace me? The podcaster is that, could, I mean, they, it's fine that now. Could happen, Rob. If a year from now I find out that it's going to be able, it can just uh, basically AI can recreate my voice and the style of my show. I'm not going to like it as much.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's you know, that or you will be able to go on vacation more Rob. Yeah,
2: unless, <laughs> uh, unless I could just put those up and then I don't have to do any more podcasts right. and then right. just still put right. the ads in. That, then I'd be okay with that.
1: Right, right. But Deidre is actually, she, her company is actually a company that's utilizing AI technology to help podcasters streamline their production. Um, and that's why she's up on stage to join us besides being a nice person and everything. But she's got this this terrific new platform called CapShow. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about CapShow to kind of set the stage and then we can really dig into... You know, AI. Yeah. Cool.
3: Oh. I don't think... Okay. okay. Okay, I have to turn that off.
1: Okay. So, yeah. Can you... Okay.
3: All right. Okay, cool. Um, so, hey. Uh, so, CapShow is an AI-powered podcast copywriter. Essentially, our users upload their audio files and in under... Ten minutes, we say ten minutes too, so we can over deliver. But it's more like five, six minutes. Um, it it creates a title, description, show notes, social media captions, email, uh, blog post, LinkedIn article, YouTube description, full transcript, quotes. Um, yeah, the full hog. Uh, so yeah, that's what CapShow does. It is the fastest way to market and grow your podcast. Um, from a content perspective.
0: You know, I'm one of those folks that I'm just a little bit of a doubting Thomas when it comes to AI and the reason for it is we've been doing some some tests internally. And, you know, we've asked an AI, give me uh, 10 interview questions for a name. And when we threw about 10 names into the system, it gave us about five of those same questions again and again and again and again and again. And it gave us five uniques. So I'm worried about AI making podcasting, for those that use it, more of a, you know, it's, it's like we don't we want to have unique shows, right? We want to have unique conversations. We want to have unique interviews. But if we're using AI to do pre-production and it's given us the same five to 10 questions to ask a host, we're not we're not going to be any better than a show that uses that format where they ask the same five questions again and again. And so I think we're going to have to be careful in how we use AI and throughout the process to keep our shows unique. I think it's going to help people. But, again, I, I, I've got concerns.
2: I, I think this is uh, your, your area of expertise.
3: Yeah. I actually do have
2: – Your curse. Your curse. Am I on?
3: Okay. Um, I actually do have thoughts about that because I 100% agree. Um, we actually designed – so the whole – oh, how do I start? We had a big, big chat about this. But, like, I fundamentally – believe that creators should be the ones creating like humans need to be the ones creating for as long as possible like i know that's like the flood feels like it's coming and it's like how long can we hold this thing off but ai is coming um and it's uh, you know and as much as possible that sounds we. sounds
2: terrifying it does
3: <laughs> yeah um but it is and we kind of have to keep up with it if otherwise we are going to become made redundant. Um, and so the whole reason uh, we developed, developed Capture the way it is and where it plugs into the podcasting process is because we fundamentally agree that the person has to be the expert. The content has to originate from the human and all our tool does, for example, is amplify it. Um, that's it. It's still anchored in the, the content that is being created.
2: See, I think as a creator, I feel like that that's uh, super exciting because I feel like that if we could be using AI to help with like a lot of the pain points in post production, uh, because I think I feel like as creators, I, I feel like that uh, the pre production and the production are the parts that we like. Uh, post production is the part that is like uh, very challenging.
3: Yeah, it's like, you know, we hear about black hat marketing um, a lot. Well, I don't know, in the marketing space, you hear about black hat marketing, where, um, you know, a lot of, it, there's like, it, it, it's dodgy things that they're, they're doing, right? Um, I think what's coming is almost like black hat businessing, if that's a word, um, where, you know, people are leveraging AI to essentially build businesses. And I don't, with that at the stage. Like, you know, there was a Business Insider article um, and someone was talking about his experience, kind of like um, he wrote a children's book. I think Larry did this as well. Um, he spoke about that this morning. But this was a p- another person who wrote a children's book, launched on Amazon, and he got heck hell for it. Can I say that? He got absolutely <laughs> shocked because um, that's the thing. It is actually when you use AI to create, you are essentially borrowing other people's IP. And so that in a way becomes like the black hat businessing. Like it's not really you originating the content. Like, yeah, there's a little bit of creativity around what prompts you use and things like that, but it's it's you know, it's not really in the spirit, I think, of what it is as humanity we should be striving for.
0: I, I did an experiment with my tech show. I wrote two articles using one using jasper.ai. Another one using an, another AI service called Contents.com, which I really love a lot. It's not well known. They're from they're overseas. And the Jasper AI article, I said, give me a wrap up for CES twenty twenty three, which was an event I was just at. And it wrote it. I spent about fifteen minutes editing, taking out stuff I got wrong. And then I asked Contents.com, write an article on a brand new product that Blueberry had released that morning, six hours later. I said, Write an article on this to see if it really could do something that was brand new. And I was shocked. Contents.com did a really good job. I had to edit both of them for about 15 minutes, but I posted them on my blog. I told my audience which one was written by an AI. And I didn't tell them that both were. And about 50% of the audience said the CES article, 50% were the Quick Links article. And, and some of them said, well, that Quick Links, that's definitely was you. It's your style of writing, blah, blah, blah. But I probably replaced eight sentences in each article with 500 words each. And I was actually pretty impressed, but it wrote it in a format that you could almost tell question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. So if I'm looking at people's content, I'm almost going to be able to smell out AI written articles myself, just the way those two packages put together the content. So it was kind of cool, you know, two articles in 30 minutes. uh. Yeah. Another question is whether or not Google
1: is going to be able to detect duplications out there too. Um, So I kind of wonder though, I mean, a podcaster, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but podcasters um, inputting their information.
0: He's on like two
1: uh, podcasters putting their information into an AI engine like off of their rss feed or offer of their transcript whatever it's going to generate probably content that's probably more aligned and less you know plagiarized might be a better way of saying it so i think you know if the podcaster is looking to write articles about a topic that isn't directly sourced out of their podcast i think there's some risk but if you're sourcing it off of your your material your source material and you're just using that technology to go through that information and, and format an article. It, actually, I, I'm hopeful, but I think it's, it's still really early for this stuff. So, so
0: anyway, Todd. Yeah. So, well, I, I was going to add one thing that could happen too, is let's say we talk about 20 topics in our podcast today. And the thing that you put as the headline is popular today, but let's say two months from now, something pops off that you did in your podcast eight weeks ago, maybe you want that AI to rewrite that article from that preview to, to emphasize something is happening today. So I could see where there could be some advantages in getting suggestions from a system that says, Hey, you need to update uh, episode 82 because whatever's happened in the world today relates to what's in the content, but it's not a headline.
3: Uh yeah. So, <laughs> yes, thanks. Um, so, yeah, I 100% agree. And that's actually um, core to... Um, so, in CapShow, we have this strategy that we're called content dripping strategy. Um, and it's really how do you um, more smartly extrapolate your podcast content so that you stay relevant and importantly, that you actually have your audience follow you and hang out with you for, you know, they call it the seven-hour rule or whatever, but for a good amount of time so they come to know, like, and trust you. And AI actually makes this really, really easy to do, but it's still anchored in your expertise or your podcast content. Yeah.
0: So I hope you guys are, I think you can hear me okay, because I can hear myself okay. But if you can't hear someone, just raise your hand when they're uh, speaking and we'll make sure the audio gets up. So go ahead, Rob.
1: So I think that there's another element of this too, which is uh, podcast artwork uh, as well. And I know that uh, some people have been playing around with this technology of being able to um, auto-generate like their cover art or creating uh, unique images for their podcasts. And I think it's another piece of this that it does raise some concerns around IP and who owns, where that image is actually being sourced from because we all know that AI isn't necessarily creating um, unique content. It's creating different uh, derivative content is my understanding of the technology. Um, And until that AI is kind of like a human, you know, and able to create something unique without having to go back and, and pull something from someone else. I think it's, it's it's still early for it. And I think there, there's some area for caution. Deidre, is that your thought too?
3: Yeah, so, oh, I think I can hear myself now. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think with images, it's suitable. All of AI, The and for anyone who doesn't know how AI, the technology actually works is through what they call machine learning. So you have to give the machine a huge amount of data to learn. And obviously it can only learn from what it has access to. So for now it's all of, you know, like public, like artists and right. things that people are putting up on the internet and, and everything else. Um, and so that's why I think there's so much um, pushback from artists, especially around people using AI-generated images. I mean, put aside the fact that that is going to probably increase competition, but the machine actually learned on artists' You know, graphics right. and right. designs. Exactly. And, yeah. So, as you said, it's just derivatives right. um, of that's, what's already out there.
1: There's some legal exposure with doing anything 100%. that's a derivative. It can be modified to some degree, but if it can be identified as something that came from another piece of artwork, it's um, it's risky, I would think.
3: Yeah. And it's going to be super interesting. You know, we're already talking about AI. Uh, there was a, a belief that AI was going to take out this whole. Industry of, you know, the call it like the um, people who do more admin tasks right. and things like that. Actually, it's now what we're seeing is that it's actually a huge risk to creators, to right. people who are actually creating their own content, who artists, right. things like that, because of the way that the machine learns. Um, and it's actually the people, the more like the people on the lower levels that out it, who Act, they they now have access to these tools that they never could before, right. and they will actually reap the benefits, which is super interesting. It's a yeah, really it an interesting answer. like a byproduct of mm-hmm. what we didn't see coming. So,
2: could I get an AI lawyer to also Gosh. be patched in to then know the legality? There's the answer right there. The image?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, so, yeah. The AI lawyer. As a creator, though, the thing I worry about is. I create original content, so I'm not worried about the podcast content creation. I'm worried about the, the extra stuff that we're going to do, social, the blog post, because plagiarism, you know, we, we could get in trouble really, really quick. Um, you know, there's been, look what happened with CNET. CNET had a AI that was writing blog articles for them, and it was proven that This thing ran home to mama a lot and was plagiarizing other people's works, changing two or three words. And it was just example after example after example. So I would be very, very hesitant to allow any type of AI at this point to have any meaningful position on my website where I'm posting 500 words on a regular basis with it because... It's just, it's just too high of a risk. And if you get called out to be a, a plagiarizing, then what are you going to say? Oh, the AI did it? Well, it's still your responsibility. If you post that post under your name, you're, you're liable.
1: Well, Todd, that actually raises a, a question, is that are there safe IA platforms that a podcaster can use? now, like a, like a cap show that's based on podcaster's content, not everybody else's
0: content. As long as it's using just the transcript of the show and it doesn't go to external sources for content, I think that's much safer for sure. But if you are going to an external source and trying to add content to what you've just created, I think it's very dangerous. I don't know. What do you think about that, Dieter? Yeah,
3: um gosh. So the way that the natural language processing you know works is that it is still trained on data, like we know that. So for us For 100%, we feed it your transcripts. We feed it your podcast. So it creates content on that. And that was the whole purpose of it. Um, So I 100% agree with you that, you know, in terms of you don't want to be like, I would not recommend going to a chat GPT and trying to create long form content out of there. I wouldn't even get it to create anything. So what we're going to see from a potential workflow process for people who aren't creators, like like us here, is that they can generate a script out of ChatGPT, even if they had a video podcast, they can actually, there is AI platforms that create videos of like people talking your script. Um, and then they will, and then from there, it's like it's like the world has changed. And the problem is you can't tell a lot of times that it is plagiarized. Anyway, I know I'm going to answer your question, but I just wanted to, that was just came to mind because it's like, it's crazy this world is going. Um and so yes, I think you, we can and that's why I'm so so passionate about this. Like if we can continue creating and keep being the experts in our space um and use tools that just that will have learned natural language from the data because it had to have gone out and learned from there, but it actually is um the parameters are set to be around your content then I think that, that, like, yes, that is 100% a way better way to go.
1: So I think the big takeaway that I'm gathering so far is it's still early for AI, and AI is not a, not a replacement for humans yet. It's, it's not a creative engine. I, I don't believe as much as I think everybody thinks it is. It's not like that AI is the artist that's creating a unique piece of art. Maybe it is from a derivative perspective, but but it's not really yet. So maybe there'll be a day when it's uh, sentience or something like that, and it's basically just like a human that can think creatively and think uniquely. Um,
0: that, that could happen, but I think we're a long way off from that. So so to wrap up this topic, where is AI going to be in 2, 5, 10, 15, 20 years?
1: What, why don't you take that and then I'll, I'll, I'll fill it.
3: Well, I, yeah, I just, uh, I go I to go the extreme where I'm like, it's going right. to take over the world. Right. Um, and the reason i I say that is, actually, we were having this really um, long conversation a couple of nights ago. And, you know, Rob was making his really good point about, you know, you look at what, it, you know, the likes of Elon Musk is doing. I know you're a fan of Elon Musk. Right. Um, but, you know, he's, in your words, actually, I'm quoting Rob here, but he's taking over the roads He's right. taking over space. Right. He's now bought Twitter, which is, again, in your words, the um, the closest social media platform that there is to human
2: thought, thought, thought process. Yeah,
3: the right. thought process, right? Um, and so you can already see that when when someone like an Elon or a Google or a Facebook starts combining these huge data sets of the world. Like there is no doubt that they are going to start using that data to, you know, to put it really dystopianly, mm-hmm. uh, take over the world. So um I think that there is something coming. Like I think yeah. that it is more and more going to become very much a part of our everyday lives. Um and I guess it's just how do we as humans, um, again, we had this very philosophical conversation about humans roles right. in um in all of this. Um it, like uh, fundamentally what yeah you know, how do we find a place in that um it's right. gonna I, I i don't have the answer for that by the way i actually i don't know um i i think we have to figure it out but i'm very very um optimistic about humans resiliency mm-hmm. in figuring this out and 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 working alongside it so
0: yeah So rob what do you think
3: you
2: know that I think all these tools are really uh, amazing, and I, I'm sure they're going to continue to develop. But I do think that uh, human beings are, are going to uh, potentially resist uh, like uh, all artificially generated content. And I think that humans will continue to adapt and provide original content that I think audiences are go- are going to respond to. I don't think that there is going to be like a formula for what the perfect content is that people will crave. I think that the more the content becomes formulaic, the more audiences will crave something that defies those
0: expectations. So, Rob and I, in our dealings with Robert Libson and me with Podby, I mean, she's Robert. Podbean and me at Blueberry. I'm changing titles here. Holy crap! I'm not working for Libsyn, by the way. Um, The uh, (laughs) uh, we're going to come back to questions later, but the biggest question we get asked is how do I grow and how do I monetize? So this I hear this every day of the week when we're talking to content creators. So. You know, Rob, you've been in the space a long, long, long time, and you've got a very, very successful platform, very successful podcast. You know uh, what? What has been your? It's true, Rob. What, what has been your your key to growing your show? Let's start with that.
2: Um. I I will say it comes back to, um, you know, community and, you know, the interactivity with the audience. I I think that it's very hard to uh, have a podcast that, you know, is going to have longevity without, you know, having that kind of relationship
0: with the audience. Because I find it true if if you're just podcasting and you're getting no feedback from the audience, it gets pretty lonely pretty quick. And it's almost like that single or email that comes in. So, oh, my God, I love your show. That almost like carries you for the next two or three episodes. Right. Because oftentimes the audience is listening, but it's just like crickets out there. So what has been, you know, I guess the key is everyone. So how do I get this audience engaged? How do I get them to give me feedback? You know, what what do I need to do as a content creator to to trigger them to to react?
2: I think it's passion for the subject matter, and uh, I often like uh, equate it to you know you, you uh, throw the ball out to the audience and see like who's gonna throw it back to you. You know, you really want to try to uh, not have it be a monologue, but a, a dialogue with the audience, and try to encourage as much audience participation as possible. Right?
0: <laughs> right. I think sometimes podcasters fail. I listen to a 100 shows every two weeks. I sample, and oftentimes I felt like I'm being talked over, not talked to. Because we have to remember, we're, we're having this, even though it's one to many, we're still having a one-to-one conversation. And I think a lot of times, even I catch myself like asking a general question to the audience instead of saying, what do you think versus what do you all think? So sometimes, you know, we have to catch ourselves. How do you, do you address the community at large or you try to talk to them as individuals? What do you do?
2: You know, that's a really good question. Um, You know, I I try to, a lot of times I'm having a, um, I I do very little podcasting by myself. Uh, Almost all the podcasting that I do is with a co-host. So, I, I find that I'm more often talking to the other person on the podcast, but, you know, inviting the audience also to,
0: you know, uh, weigh in on what they think. So let's pass the mic down and see what, uh, what, what is your success, to community engagement?
3: Yeah. So to, oh, okay. Uh, I'll answer the first question first, which was um, around how um, I talk to my, you know, my podcast audience. Um, And it was actually, I actually just recorded an episode where I actually spoke about ChatGPT. And the reason why I did that was because I went through this emotional rollercoaster, if I'm going to be honest, of, you know, being in AI, being in copywriting. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this thing has just blown up. Um, It's taken over. It's literally broken the internet. And I've gotten people getting in touch with me to be like, oh, what does this mean for CAP show? Like, are you guys... You know, are you guys gonna die? Like, what? You know, that was the feeling. And before I was like, when Chachi, I was like, this is really cool. And then when I started getting those texts and messages, I'm like, oh my god, are we gonna, are we gonna die? Like, oh my gosh, what is gonna happen? And so I actually, um, so the the episode that I recorded was actually very vulnerably. And this is how I my my what I like to do, and why I think I end up talking one on one with my audience is because I share very vulnerably my own story in that moment. Um, so I spoke about, yeah, this story about, you know, someone coming up to me and saying like, oh, you know, it's okay, competition happens all the time. And how that just like, I just went into this downward spiral of like, oh, my gosh, like what is, you know, and all of this and how as an entrepreneur do I pick myself back up? How do I, you know, think this through? And and for me it was very much about, um, and it was great. It was a great thing to go through because it gave me clarity around, who my audience specifically is um, and, you know, what my stance on chat GPT and AI stuff. Um, And so I was able to share in that way. So to answer your question about, you know, how do I engage, like that's, I I personally prefer one-on-one conversations anyway. I'm a bit of an introvert, so that's how I speak to my audience. Um, And I, sorry, and just to add to that, like I resisted, any kind of community building, like didn't have a Facebook group, didn't have anything because I just didn't want to, you know, put myself in that position where I have to maintain and, you know, this thing. And it wasn't until my audience actually asked for it um, that they, you know, that literally next week I'm actually opening up a Facebook group because they, that's what they want. And I was like, okay, well I have to listen to them as well and, you know, create that space for them.
1: Yeah. So I'm a big believer in community too, and and I've known Rob, um, the other Rob, for for a long time, and I've seen a lot of what he's done, and I've also done a you know a show to build community myself, and so I think just being accessible to your audience uh, is goes a long way, but it also gets back to how you communicate to them about wanting them to be included, right? So it's not about just you, it's about everyone out there. And one of the magic things that I've seen in doing this, a lot of people don't think about or have experienced, is that once you build a community, I'm sure Rob can talk about this, is that the community that you build around your podcast starts to build friendships with other members of that same community. And sometimes they come and watch your show or they'll, participate in your show so they can see their friends and that's when you know that you've reached a level of community that is powerful because it builds loyalty because those those community members see you as a conduit for access to their their social network of sorts their their connections things that they enjoy talking about and and that's why Rob is also He's built such a community that he's put on conventions and conferences that he he invites his, his community to. And I don't know, Rob, why don't you talk about that part of it? Because it's really powerful.
2: Yeah, just to uh, sort of like uh, unite the couple of things that we're talking about. You know, uh, the AI is a great tool that I think that we could be using as podcasters to, you know, help with get the word out about what we're doing. I think it's like, could be a good tool for helping with discovery where it can take what you're recording and turning it into something that can be more easily found by people who are looking for you. But that connection that Rob is talking about, that thing that people I I think are really seeking, especially like in these times when you know, it, it's hard. We come to conferences like this, you know, looking to you know, uh, you know, connect and find people who are that we can share, you know, uh, this passion of ours. Like I think that that's a, a great thing about podcasting that people are able to find that comes out of it that 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 ability to sort of just uh, you know find your people
0: through the content. I want to move on and talk about cross-promotion, guesting, live. I want to kind of group it together. Um, you know, early on in podcasting, one thing I found huge success on was just sending, you know, talking about a show that I loved, that you know, on my podcast and then letting that podcaster know, hey, I did a shout out for you because I loved your show. And sometimes they would give me a shout back and that would be a great cross-promotion tool and we pick up a few. But I really found that getting on other shows, if you could get on another show like yours, we'll do nothing but help you drag some audience to your show from that show. And they're not going to leave, but it's, it's a great way. I, you know, and I think you've been on a lot of shows over the years, different shows. So, um, recently, uh, Adam Curry for no agenda. Matter of fact, just yesterday, he was on Joe Rogan's show and they do the No Agenda show, and I'm sure his show is going to get a massive bump from people come over from Rogan. Now, we all can't get on Rogan, but we'd like to, right? Everybody would like to be on Rogan at least once. So what have you found when you've been guesting with someone else's show? How that affected your – have you brought people over for your audience?
2: Yeah, I mean it's great when um, it's a show that has like a similar audience or like a uh, a big enough audience that there are going to be people who uh, may be interested in what you're doing, even if that person is not talking about the the same exact thing. It just can be really hard to know that ahead of time. Like, there's some things that are like it's an obvious yes to do it, but it also um, if it's not the right people uh or the right audience it could also end up being something that's kind of a time suck
3: yeah i would totally echo <laughs> those that sentiment um sometimes i think we get on this like hamster wheel of we've got to get on all these shows because that's what everyone tells me um us to do but i think we can afford to be a, a little bit um Uh, more discerning about the types of shows that we not to say that like at the beginning, maybe it is a case of, Hey, we just need to get reps, right? We just need to practice and practice getting on these shows, getting interviewed. Um, But I would kind of extend on that as well. And, you know, the whole thing about, we talk about guesting, like it's a one way thing, like it's, Oh, I'm, I, I need to get my, I need to, you know, produce, uh, I need to promote my show. So I'm going to guess, but I found that the best way to, um, to really uh, come into those relationships is with it's like you just give like you want to give so you know I I always if I'm going to go on a show I'm going to be like I am going to 100% promote you so I actually don't do a lot of shows because of the fact that I need to like work into my promotion calendar and I need to make sure that you know all everything's lined up and my team knows about it and things like that because I want to be very intentional with how with respecting not only my time but you know other people's time As well, so I think that's a thing that sometimes gets missed. It's like a great opportunity, but it's only—it's really great if you can reciprocate in in that way. And when you do, then you'll just uh, like you'll be asked to be on more and more shows, and people want to promote you. Um, So I think that that's kind of the missing the gap that I would.
1: Right, right. So, so Rob, I wanted to ask you: How important do you think live is right now? Live, like what we're doing right now. Like uh, being in front of people or just, streaming just, live, just doing yeah, streaming live, yeah. being being in the real world with real people, real time. Yeah. Well,
2: first off, nothing is more important than being here live with you. Yes, agreed. Okay, uh, but in all seriousness, um, I have found that in the last couple of years, I really felt like that since, um, like uh, after COVID. Uh, I I felt like that, like uh, being live, like I I feel like that that was there was just a a bigger audience for people. And I don't know if it's because that more people got used to watching things uh, streamed on Twitch. But uh, I find that there is like a bigger audience for being live for the podcast. Like when I am doing a show that's live, I might get, you know, 10 times the responses from the live audience than I get from the people that listen to the podcast the
0: next day. Responses. you get. Yeah. Yeah, the responses. It's, yeah. So when they're responding when you're live, but they don't respond when they listen Passively, when it's not live. Yeah. It, you know, and that hits a point. You uh, know, I'm kind of unique that Rob and I have been streaming the show over 10 years. I've been doing live probably total for 12. And the reason I did live, I was lonely. I was recording the show at 8 o'clock Hawaiian Standard Time, and I was solo show bored out of my gourd doing my show talking to a wall. So bringing people on, and it was usually Australians or people from New Zealand that was still awake. But now that I live uh, on the Eastern Standard Time, it's fun because you do. You get that engagement live, and it just makes the show go a little bit you know, it's just not, you're not just talking into the mic by yourself. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in live.
3: Yeah, I do mine a bit differently because my audience are entrepreneurs um, who podcast. And so they don't have the time to, you know, be coming on a live with me. So, um, I but I do incorporate a live element. And what we do is um, I have a mastermind, a monthly mastermind with my Capture Collective members. Um, and we actually, I so I will invite a, a guest, essentially, to basically teach them, but it's kind of a recording for my podcast. and then I do a lot of post um, post uh, recording like narrations and it, so I actually like produce the, the my podcast episodes quite a bit so I do incorporate a live element because I think even for the guests that make like you know there's Q&A afterwards there's you know people in the chat and but I make it kind of like a small subset of people who are interested in that topic who want to be there um, and who will show up because I think that's the other thing about being live sometimes it's like I don't know is anyone going to show up like um, and so I think you know so I just do it a little bit differently.
0: So I'm just curious of this audience here. How many of you are doing a live component to your show? So, wow, a very low percentage. How many of your solo shows? Oh, a few. So most everyone else has a co-host. How many are here to start a podcast? Okay, great. So you're in the right place. If you subscribe to this podcast, you're going to get a PhD in podcasting if you listen long enough. So make sure you do. Um, Yeah. Todd will send you a certificate too. That's right. <laughs> so it's an interesting time in podcasting. Um, we see the numbers. There's been a big report out that podcasting is down eighty percent. Well, let me just tell you that's bunk. That means because there's three point five million dead shows on a certain boat anchor show uh, platform. So this the <laughs> formerly known as Anchor. Okay, yeah. So yeah. there's there's so in reality, podcasting is still slow and steady. The numbers are still going up, although there is a definite slowdown in the number of episodes being created. But for me, and if you look at this globally, it depends on what category you're in. Everybody said, oh, my God, I'm competing against five million shows. No, you're not you're You're competing against four hundred thousand active shows, divide that by the number of podcast categories and you might be competing against ten thousand shows let's say and then if you're producing every week, you're probably actually competing about against twenty five hundred compared that to youtube it's nothing so it's a great time as an indie podcaster to move up this is this is a time to pour on the coals so big podcasting is pulling back we're all i consider myself an indie pun, indie content creator how about you you think you're indie you think you're commercial
2: um i i, I kind of ride the line
1: yeah <laughs> you're indie yeah. you're indie rob i don't have a boss <laughs> professional indie yeah, there you go. That's so
0: I, I would is. say you're probably as close, but you started indie, and you've you know you know what the indie score is, and this audience I think is largely indie. Anyone here signed by any group? Are we all indie podcasters here? Independence, yeah. okay, good. Go ahead, Rob.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say I think this is a great time to start a podcast, um, and it's always the, Todd and I have been around long enough to see these trends happen before. So, so back in 2009, 2008, we saw a big dip just like this. And, and that's when a lot of the big shows uh, launched. Like the Adam Carolla podcast started in 2009. And I think Joe Rogan started in 2008, 2009. So he started thinking about these lulls in the economy and when big media are pulling back from creating new content because it's risky for them. Because the payback uh, isn't there uh, during economic collapse, so you're that's what you're seeing is you're seeing a pullback of these big media companies. And back in that time frame, all those big media companies completely got out of podcasting. They actually they basically canceled all their shows and stopped. So I don't think we're going to see that happen this time. But I do think that this is a great opportunity for a creative energy to come into the podcasting space create a show and start doing all of these community building activities live streaming getting involved in and in, uh, reaching people um in a more personal way and because people need that now and, and i think there's just an opportunity i don't know what what you guys think on. Uh, you know is now the right time
0: The the free money is gone. Have you guys, anyone went to buy a car recently and seen the interest rates for a a car or or maybe you're on a variable home loan or, you know, the companies that are trying to get money to do productions, they're paying eight, nine percent on that money if they have to go out and borrow it. So they're not going to risk unless they have a hit. Now, the best thing is most of our production costs, my production cost is literally zero. It's the hosting cost, my time, a little bit of editing if you have a producer, maybe you're going to have that as an expense. But compared to the big boys, who're spending as much as twenty thousand dollars on an episode, those budgets are getting cut. Now they maybe are looking at five grand on the high end platforms. If I had five grand to spend for production, <laughs> holy so cow, crazy. we would we'd have five people here help this. You know, yeah, that's so a low
1: budget podcast talk. We,
0: a low budget podcast is uh, for it's most 5, of this zero, right? right? So. Um, I think it's a great time. It's a great time to pour on the coals and build a big show. It really, really is. So I don't know. What do you two think on this?
3: Yeah, I would echo that. I, honestly, I see podcasts like a business. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, so of course. Um, so, And, you know, all the best businesses, uh, the most successful businesses, I should say, always came out of an, some kind of downturn. Um, so, you know, if that's an indication that you just got to, like, you just got to get in anytime there's a downturn in anything, you just got to get in on it. Um, that is literally the best time.
2: Maybe I come at it a little bit differently because I feel like that if you are a beginning podcaster, somebody who's looking to start a show, I don't think you should be, and I guess, who am I to tell you how you should be thinking, but you shouldn't be looking at it as something to make money. You should be doing making a podcast because it's something you want to do. Maybe it's something that you want to do to provide value for people, but you have to you have to want to do it. And if you want to do it and you enjoy doing it, then there is a decent chance that you will do it long enough to reach the point where you can monetize. But that might not be for a, you know a year or two or three years. And so if you're doing it just to make money, you won't be able to do it long enough to get to the point where you're making the money if you, it's not something that you care about.
0: To, to Rob's point, value is a big thing. Um, I want to back up just a second and talk about your shows. If, if you don't have a goal, a goal for your show that's written down, then how do you know where you want to get? All right. Number one, you got to have that goal for your podcast. But value there's a great site called valueforvalue.info, valueforvalue.info, and I'll be talking about that more tomorrow morning and also in the pro session and on podcasting 2.0 on Friday. But Value for Value is where you give enough value to your audience that they reward you with a donation. It could be PayPal. could be Cash App. could be this new thing that's called Boost and in, in Value for Value in podcasting. If you give value, they'll give you value back. There's, there's a lot of shows now that are adopting this model. You don't have to have a sponsor to get a, a financial reward from an audience member. But providing enough value, number one, is going to grow your audience too.
1: Well, and also more and more it is possible to monetize at a modest level with programmatic advertising, which is more automated, automatic advertising in your show. And so, more and more, the hosting platforms, Podbean, uh, Blueberry, uh, uh, Lipson, all, all of them have support for these automated advertising tools. So, but I do think that you have to respect those tools um, because th- they can be abused, they can be used incorrectly, and they they could potentially damage your audience growth if they're done incorrectly. So, so there is. An opportunity there. So let's say you have a show that has maybe a thousand downloads or something like that. There's no reason why you can't make $10, $20 a month or something like that on that podcast, right? So at least you're starting to get into that rhythm. And then it, once you start building on that, maybe you sell, direct sell a host read to... to Um, like that, so, so you're starting to kind of peel back the layers of the opportunity. Um, but I agree with Rob, Rob and He didn't tell you how many years he was podcasting before he started making any money. Uh, but I would imagine it was probably at least a year or two, right?
2: I think it was probably two years
1: two before years? I, I made right. like a dollar.
2: Right. You made a dollar? <laughs> that Yeah, in year two. Oh, okay.
1: Well,
2: and that's better about- than nothing.
0: It was about 10 months for me, but I just got lucky, to be honest with you. But going back to what Rob said about programmatic, programmatic, I, and Tom Webster termed this, so I don't want to take credit where credit is. I give credit where credit is due. Programmatic, in my opinion, is bridge money. It gets you over the bridge to get you to real money. It gets you started so that you got a little bit of scratch coming in. And sometimes it's a little bit of scratch. So let's not be, you know... D- if you have a small show the check's not going to be big. But here's the situation I had with me when I started my podcast it was very very expensive to do podcasting. There was no host. There was I was putting out a lot of money like 500 bucks a month and that caused problems in the household where my wife at the time said, "Hey, hey, 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 what you doing? This thing needs to make some money." So I had great pressure to monetize being that it costs much lower to do shows now. If you have a spouse, significant other, partner, that's saying, hey, you're spending five hours on this every week. You know, what am I getting out of this? For me, I was the goal was to build authority. So, again, it was about the goal. But if you're getting that pressure, the programmatic may give you enough money to take your partner to dinner. Maybe it'll grow into car payment money. Then maybe it'll grow into something bigger. But, again, I think programmatic allows you the bridge time to get to the point where you build the show. And, and again, it's, this is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You got a couple, couple of year run to build, build a good show. And, and I, I go against many people's sayings. I don't think a podcaster's new to podcasting. Should take a break, no breaks, two years. You gotta, you gotta grind. You gotta, you gotta put an episode out every week or two episodes out. You can't be going bi-weekly. You want to build a show. Yeah. You got to put the work in. So that's just my, again, there's no rules in podcasting. Do what you want to do.
1: Yeah. And if you, Eventually, grow your shoulder to the point where it's getting large numbers of downloads and you get into an advertising contract with an ad sales agency, you're gonna be binded by an ad sales agreement, and you're gonna have to create content. <laughs> so you know this this attitude that you get from programmatic and maybe starting slowly into advertising, It'll it'll kind of change your mindset, maybe make you a little bit more professionalized in how you're thinking about your show, and because you will be under contract to produce so many episodes over some period of time, so it's getting that discipline and that routine and being able to create your content on a regular basis, consistency um, at a high level that will continue your audience too. That's the other piece that advertisers look for is shows that are able to maintain their audience and because that's what they're buying but you don't
0: have to monetize there's no rules do do what you do you yeah do you boo it's this that's the way to go you know it's that's the best thing (laughs) yep yeah yeah so I'll,
3: i'll add to that so the world that i know is a bit different i we don't i don't monetize mine in this way in terms of ads or sponsorships or anything like that um i very much uh, I'm a podcasting entrepreneur, and I talk. So my audience are podcasting entrepreneurs as well. Um, and you know, I we just recently did a um, a survey. A, a, there's a state of podcast marketing report um, that you can get on our website, CapShow.com. And we basically surveyed high income earning podcasters, podcasting entrepreneurs, and like lower income earning ones. And what was really interesting, we asked this question about how many downloads higher income earning podcasters have um, and the highest is they only had a month 250 to 500 was a sweet spot so not very many downloads but the thing is why they was able to monetize it so effectively was because they had a niche they had a specific person that they were talking to and they had a back-end offer um, off the back of their podcast that they could monetize so it wasn't about very different audience and de- very different to what Rob does um, for his podcast, but you know it, that's the the quickest um, and most effective way that we've seen monetization happen, which is have your own offer um, that your podcast is almost just a content generation machine for, um, and that's how we yeah we found monetization monetizing a podcast effectively.
1: So. Yeah, so I think that the, the advertising side is something that you have to really treat carefully, um, especially if you're getting started with it, and especially when you've been doing a show for a while that hasn't had any advertising. So, so let's say you start a show and you do it for a year and there's no advertising in it, and then all of a sudden you, you start doing advertising, it can be a little bit of a, of a jolt to your audience. So what I advise is kind of s- slowly phasing it in and and just kind of help prepare your audience for this, and and let your audience know that this really helps you continue producing your your show, and to to just phase it in slowly instead of you know all of a sudden there's six ads in your show. Yeah. So
0: do we move on to the next topic? I'm looking sure. at time here. We, we, I think we got about ten to. 15 more minutes left, but I want to leave time for people to ask questions if they have questions. Right. All right. So this is this is more of a poll of the panel here. Video versus audio or video and audio or just video versus live. Let me say that again. Video versus audio or video and audio or just video versus live.
2: So I found that in the last couple of years, I mean, when we started the podcast, it used to all be just audio, no video, no live. Um, I feel like that at this point in time, at least for what I do, which is you know mostly recaps of TV shows, YouTube has become such a big driver of traffic for us, uh, where. People, we get. I feel like we get the majority of our comments on the podcast. I feel like it's for us, at least, video and potentially live.
3: Um. Okay. So, I, I think I'm gonna. I'll answer from my perspective of what I do, but it is always um, test and learn because everyone's audience and what we talk about is very different and our topic areas. So, for me, again, I talk to entrepreneurs. Um, What I found is, so my audio, uh, the podcast itself is audio and it's around about say 30 minutes an episode. And I used to put those, uh, have a video element. I used to put that onto YouTube, but it was just like no, no views, no engagement, nothing. Um, And so I changed things up a bit. I I was a little bit more intentional to be like, okay, what do people actually go to YouTube for, at least for my, my type of content. And a lot of times it's for hacky, like how-tos, you know, short, like sharp, five minutes, you know, they just want to get, like, just want to see the screen, and they want to, so I I actually um, repurpose my content in the sense of that I will pull out one of the tips that I shared about on my episode, and I'll actually do a deep dive on that from a video perspective, and that's what I share on YouTube, and since then, we've seen a lot more subscribers, um, engagement views on my YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a fascinating question right now, the whole debate between just being audio. Uh, some podcasters, especially on YouTube, they're just doing video, right? But their thought of being a podcaster, right? So I think there's this a little bit of confusion in the audience right now around what a podcast is. It's not really so much confusion as much as it's perception. Um, if a if a video show on YouTube looks like a podcast, people think it's a podcast. So they may not have an RSS feed. They may not put it out as a as a downloadable version of that show. Um, but it looks like, it sounds like, but it's all video, right? And there's very successful shows that look like podcasts that are just on YouTube. And you know, I try and contact some of these folks and try and say, well, why don't you just take the audio from your video and put it out as a podcast? And some of them do it, but what I find is, is that they don't – build much audience on the audio side so you have this you know it's almost like you have to decide what you want to be with your show are you audio only are you video only are you audio and video and if you're audio and video how do you navigate that to be relevant on the video side and relevant on the audio side and i think it's a it's a difficult challenge and then to complicate it even more is it live or is it on demand so I don't know what do you think about. So, well,
2: one of the things that I think the benefit of being on video uh, in you know modern times is that I think it's very hard to promote an audio podcast. Like if you have a moment that happens from the audio podcast, um, you know, it used to be a couple of years ago you could put out like a thing with like a waveform. But if you want to use any of those clips on social media. You need the video. Even if people aren't going and watching the full video on a YouTube, it's great to have the video of the clip to be able to drive people to subscribe to the podcast to hear this or for this type of
0: content. You know, this show's been on YouTube for 10 plus years and we get hardly any traction. But, the, the, but we don't really work hard at the channel. So, but my perspective has always been, I don't care where people listen or watch as long as they find the content and they know where to go to get subscribed or follow to the show. So I use all of these methods as a, a vehicle to get them back to the podcast. Now, here's the thing that you have to really consider if you're going to add video to your show, you need to always, 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 I'm going to say this out a million times. Remember that most of your audience is listening. So if you talk about something that you're showing on the screen, they have no clue what you're talking about. So you have to also continue to do audio of the mind. You have to continue to describe stuff. So those that are listening do not become disenfranchised by the live video, because sometimes I'll throw a screenshot up when Rob and I are doing the show and we'll look at a chart. Now, if I say, look at that chart, Rob, and the audience live sees the chart, but the audience that's audio is going, what is he talking about? So I have to describe the chart or make sure that there's a link to the chart in the show notes so they can go load it, and look at it. So don't ever forget your audio audience when you're doing live. Just the, And another thing, too, live makes you a better podcaster. You get one shot. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You, know, you, yeah. you want to edit, you're going to have to edit a whole chunk. So yeah. It's, it's, and guess what? For those of you that hate editing, 1,645 episodes never edit an episode.
1: Woohoo! Yeah, (laughs) that is certainly a strategy for longevity, I might say. Um, but it, you know, there is an element of of that that's interesting from the standpoint of authenticity, right? A lot of people, when they edit their podcasts, they edit every little ums and ah and, and little mistake that they have in their audio, and I think that. I think there's a good reason for that, but at the end of the day, you're making a psychological connection with another human being, and when you're talking to someone, you don't edit yourself in post production when you're talking to someone. So, in some ways, it's an unnatural thing that we do in our podcasts
0: to edit them. Um, Be careful, but I, Rob. The editors here will start shooting arrows I know, at you. I know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and there are times and genres in podcasting where editing is is to everything, right? Especially like a like a reality story or a true crime podcast or some of those. Those are tightly edited programs um, that are complicated. But when you're talking about a conversational show, I, I think it's I think you have to be a little softer on the editing is is really where I'm coming from. And I I sometimes tell podcasters that and they take offense because it's like somehow I'm I'm kind of imposing my will on them when they want it to be perfect, right? Um, and I'm not sure that that's necessary. I don't know what you guys think about that.
3: Well, I think that just comes down to, again, your audience and your type of show that you're doing. Um, so I 100% agree. If you have a convers- – like the whole purpose of a conversational show is the conversation. Right. So it makes no sense. Um, again, you know, uh, for True Prime, it's like where you're trying to – you know, there's a lot of uh, – what do they call The music – stuff that happens yeah all the music that cuts in it like that's really important because you're trying to build up emotion and you're trying you know there's a story arc and everything so i think it really just depends on again knowing your audience um and the the purpose of your show and that will govern whether how much editing you do or don't do
0: rob we're about five minutes before we need to pull the plug and i want to give the audience a an opportunity to ask questions i know that you had a question earlier didn't you uh Oh, I answered it. Okay. Does anybody have any questions in the audience about anything we've covered? And it doesn't have to be any. It could be on anything about podcasting. You've got 40 years here of experience.
1: I'm Dan Hub with the RV Life Podcast. The question I have back to the video
2: audio, aren't you kind of splitting your audience from an advertising
0: point of view? And how do you handle that? I, having had a sponsor since two thousand five and transitioned them into video, my audience is split seventy percent audio, thirty percent video. I treat the sponsorship the same exact way as I do the audio programming. the 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 call to action, everything's the same. The only difference on video, they get to see the screen where the promotion page is for the for the for the podcast or for the for the sponsor.
3: Um, and more and more sponsor, depending on how you get sponsorships, but. Um... A lot of times now, I think a lot of businesses, if that's what the route that you're going down, understand that audiences live on different channels. So the way that we package sponsorships now is to say, hey, I have this many on my podcast. I have this many on my social media. I have this many on my YouTube. And you, that's what you want to be packaging up.
0: But I also deliver my podcast as a podcast, the video. It's actually in an RSS feed. A lot of people don't do that. Some people just put it on YouTube.
3: And a lot
2: of people are going to be subscribed in both places. You don't need to tell the sponsor that it's the same person subscribed twice. And the other thing that's beautiful about the video is that YouTube is such a big search engine that it really does help with the discovery also to have it on the video as well. All right. uh, My name is Thurman. And first, before I ask my question, I just want to say thank you. This is really, really, really good. Thank you. Um, and so this question is for you, Rob. Yes. The the type of content that you do, which I love Big Brother. I watch it every year. You know what I mean? I tune into y'all every year. Um, if you started over today, would you do a TV show or would you do something different? Well, the great thing about covering a TV show, especially one like a Big Brother or Survivor, is that It already has fans. I I didn't have to do a lot to convince people to check out my show. They already cared about a thing. And so they cared about a thing, and I was uh, a person who was there early talking about a thing when there wasn't a lot of other competition. So it doesn't have to be a TV show. It could be a sports team, a video game, whatever. But if you're talking about something that people already care about, I think it's a great way to be able to find an audience. Yeah,
0: we got all kinds of hands, so we're trying to get to everybody. We're, we're going to be okay on time. We've actually got the room for a little while, so go ahead.
2: Hi, I'm, I'm Matt, and uh, I do I do appreciate all this as well. Um, what I might have missed this, but I wanted to do any of you and potential clients run paid ads as you're launching somebody new? Uh, we're redoing our podcast and relaunching, and paid ads, and then on what platform? If you do.
0: Well, we're, try- we're trying to stay away from platforms here. I'll just say that almost all podcasting hosts today have programmatic advertising. And there's most of the podcast hosts have some sort of ad division as well that will do ad sales. There's lots of separate companies that probably some of them here at this show that will do ad repping too. But usually to become ad rep, you got to have that show grow to a certain size. So again, oftentimes programmatic is a great way for a brand new show to get some revenue coming in with the podcast when they're brand new. Go ahead. The lady in the back.
3: Hello, you guys. This was excellent. Thank you for having us. My name is Rose gold with heartbreak Hill podcast. And I guess this question is for everybody. Um, What do you do when you have started to open yourself up to the sponsorships and you notice that your audience isn't quite feeling it. What are some ways that you can kind of navigate that into maybe your content to keep your audience's attention or, um yeah
2: so um just to, to ask a follow-up so is, is this like that are you just doing like a like a commercial but you think that the audience is, isn't into it during the commercial yeah yeah here rob could, could we just get the follow-up
3: yeah so we we've been doing sponsorships since about 2019 but recently it has been more commercial based and i'm noticing a dip In the listening, when it comes to analytics,
2: yeah. So I I don't know about um, what's going on that's make them not want to listen to the show, but uh, I sort of feel like they're never into it. So uh, just try to make it as fun as possible, and uh, just you know try to get through it as quick as as quick as you can, and get back to the thing. I think people understand.
0: Also, make sure your ad load is appropriate for the amount of content you have. We're seeing a lot of folks are taking advertising run three, four, five ads in a show. My show can handle two. As soon as I add a third, my audience gets pissed off and they leave. So watch the ad load.
3: Yeah, and I think just more broadly, just to extend on what Rob was saying, you know, definitely look at your data and when the drop-off started happening because, Hypothesis is it could have been because of the ad, but I to lead to point, that point, like, I, you know, I'm, I love shows like How I Built This and stuff, and there's so many ads in that. But I will continue listening because the content is, you know, still is really good. So just look look back at where the drop off started happening, and if the content's good, like, they'll want to listen to it regardless. They might just skip through the ad, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. My name is Jean-Marie Ayres, and we have a show called Everything and Jack. What I'm interested in is, for you personally, how when you were talking about building a community, like how did you start? Like we have many communities, like millions of them. How did you start building your community? Like how did you know how to access that particular community? Did you choose a community or did they choose you? Because and how big does that community grow and expand?
0: I, I started on the ground. I, I I started a podcast when there was no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, nothing. I had my website, and so what I had to do is I had to go find my audience. And as the social media platforms developed, I figured out where my tribe hung out, and I hung out with them where they hang out. So they were hanging out on Twitter. So obviously, I built from Twitter that tech audience, basically, then we set up Discord channel, ultimately Mastodon chat server. We, you know, we have different places where people hang out. But if you're all over the place, that's even more challenging.
3: Uh, yeah, and I think it's when you say community, it's also like what does that mean to you and and what do you want? Uh, so is that an audience or is that like people actually – an audience, okay because the community is like somewhere where um, my audience can actually start to interact with each other as well so it's not just with me right Um, because you can build an audience on any platform and I think what you'll find is if you're just trying to build an audience is that they will be on every platform because that we just are on every platform right and um, and we're going to reach them depending on if they're on Instagram they'll they'll build an audience there and if they're on you know um, Twitter they will be building an audience there but If you're talking about a community where people come together and they actually start to have conversations with each other, I asked mine. um, So I actually I I, I have a list. So I sent an email out and I was like, "Hey, you know, we've gotten feedback that you guys want to be part of a community," because as I said before, I resisted (laughs) building any. Like I didn't really want the. responsibility I guess almost I was kind of copying. I was copying out of it you know um but they were like no I want to be part of a community that you you I know you bring together like-minded people and so I asked them and I was like okay well these are the options there's Facebook group there's um you know Slack there's Discord there's these are the options where what would you like to be on and um majority one so I think that it's going to depend on your audience yeah. Uh, My name is Tammy, and I'm a big Cap Show fan, big Cap Show fan. So uh, I can tell you that the AI definitely is, it's all about what you've created. So it's it's helped me as somebody who's new at it. And as somebody who is so new at podcasts, I just want to clarify, is what you're saying programmatic? Is that the word? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's how new I am. (laughs) I need to have that clarified. Thank you.
0: Do we have anybody else that has a question?
2: Hey, this is Nate with the Disrupted Workforce. I have a question about uh, my demographic. So on the platform, I can see first week, first month, time of day, compared to episodes, blah, blah, blah. But I can't find out who are the people listening to my podcast. And then I talk to people and they say, it's an industry problem. We can't really get you to that data and so I feel stupid because I'm like, I'm going to just keep putting stuff out, but I don't really know who
0: you guys are. So what do I do? if you do a Google search, um, Tom Webster provided a bank of like 300 demographic and survey questions that you can put together on SurveyMonkey or some other platform to be able to say, ask the basics. Are you married? male, female, what's your education? What's your household income? You can ask all the questions you want in a survey. Then in your show, say, Hey, we're going to run this survey for the next two weeks. I want to know who you are and, and run that survey. Give them a link to go fill that out because you're right. The demographic data within podcasting is severely lacking. So I recommend every show run uh, a demographic survey at least once a year. Don't do it for very long, do it for a month. And then, Take that data, and then the following year, you can check and see where your audience
1: is at. Yeah, and also one other part of that answer to that question, too, is that the industry has been very conscious of privacy, too. So, And, and so we're trying to walk this line of, of keeping listener privacy. I know Apple, it's a big initiative with Apple as well, but, um, but walking this line because advertisers and we want to know who our audience is so we can better cater to them. But it's also walking that line of you know respecting the audience as well in their their privacy. But does anybody else have a question or a comment? So <laughs> I think
0: what we'll do then is I want to thank Rob and Deidre for coming. Everyone give them a round of applause. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. It was a pleasure. And, and as, as always uh, what a good podcaster does is we give that pitch. I'm Todd at blueberry. Com. That's blueberry without the ease because we couldn't afford the ease. I'm at geek news on Twitter.
2: Go ahead, Rob. Sure. I'm Rob Sestradino. You can find all of my stuff at Rob or search for RHAP whenever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, it's all up here too. So
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm DJ Shen. Uh, we have an AI powered podcast copywriter called Cap Show. That's C-A-P-S-H-O.com. Uh, we do have a booth at the back, so come say hi. Uh, and you can find me on all the socials at DJ Shen. I made it easy because of my full name, but it's the hardest full name to actually spell. Yeah,
1: yeah so I can be found on on Twitter, on all the social platforms, uh, just under Rob Greenly, And um, like me, I work for Podbean at podbean.com, so you can certainly go there. And I have my own website at robgreenly.com as well. So or you can send me an email if you want to, Rob at podbean.com uh, and
0: i would love to hear from you and we want to make sure you get over to Follow or subscribe to the podcast we want to thank you all for being with us today we do a weekly show where we dig in deep every week thank you so much and have a great pod fest
1: thank you so much for coming and enjoy the show
0: yep